Hi, this is Jared Murphy from City Limits. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And today for the podcast, we're joined by New York City First Lady Charlene McRae. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Thanks for joining us. So um, I think a lot of people um, in New York City certainly got to know you through the 2012-2013 campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And one key fact that came out through that and and has been discussed since is that um, you and the mayor, your husband, met working in the Dinkins administration. But I don't think a lot of people really know what you did in between. You know, they sort of know that you were in the Dinkins administration and they know that you um, then were obviously um, a close advisor and and the the spouse of the mayoral candidate. Um, Do you want to sort of just give people a general sense of sort of who you are and what you've, what you've done to get to this moment uh, before we get into some of your current initiatives? No, oh, sure, sure. Although I, I think it'll, we'll, we, we'll just do an overview of that. Sure, that sure, time. sure. Yeah, no, no, not, we don't need to go year by year. No, 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 no. yeah. Um, you're the first to ask me that question. Oh, well, that's, that's why I think uh, people might be interested. Yeah, yeah so after the Dickens administration, uh, Bill and I got married and we, we, um, I went on to work for the Office of the State Controller. Uh, it was uh, uh, Carl McCall at the time. Worked for him for, I don't know, a couple of years. Then I went on to and, and had Kiara. Kiara was born during that period. Went on to work for the Foreign Press Service, and uh, which was fabulous. And Dante was conceived and born during that time. And then I had to take some time off because two young children and and Bill's very busy schedule uh, made it difficult to to continue working full-time. Uh, I did some freelance writing and well, a little bit with uh, 1199 SCIU. I think I did a little bit for the Black Women's Health Project. And after that, I went to work for the city controller. Uh, after when I decided that I had had enough time off, went to work for the city controller, writing speeches as I did before, and and that is pretty much it. Um, oh no, 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 no. There's, then there's of course I spent uh, nearly five years at Maimonides as well. So a little bit of moving around. And a lot of writing. A lot, a lot of mm-hmm. writing. All my jobs were pretty much writing focused. Uh, that is the, the theme that runs throughout my whole life uh, and uh, interest in, in health and public health as well. As a writer, we're all writers here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering, if, is that still part of what you do? And um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation and and in some writing about what exactly your role is in the administration, mm-hmm. people trying to characterize it in different ways. How would you, if you were writing a description of your of your role in the administration, how would you describe uh, how you interact with the mayor, his staff, the agencies, the issues? What kind of uh, office is the First Lady's office under, under your tenure? Well, my role in this administration is multifaceted. I, I think that the writing, of course, is still a very strong theme, but it, it's more in that it, it's about message. It's about how we're communicating to the outside world, how we're communicating what we're doing. Um, I, but I wear a lot of hats. So Thrive is my priority, is what I spend most of my time on. Um, and 
everything else that I do is kind of related to Thrive in some way. So you, we can talk about, uh, for example, the Unity Project with LGBTQ youth. And um, it's, why is that related to Thrive? Because LGBTQ youth are more likely to be bullied and harassed and, in school and are uh, more likely to have, um, more likely to, to try taking their own lives. And so that's a mental health issue. So I, I focus on, on that through the Unity Project, but also through the Mayor's Fund, um, LGBTQ youth have a tough time getting jobs. They, you know, where are their role models? They face discrimination and other barriers to getting into the the workplace. So there's a lot of overlap with everything that I do. And so you you mentioned Thrive Thrive NYC is mm -hmm. the um, are, are you still referred to as the mental health uh, roadmap for the city? Is that well, uh, yeah, the the document the the is the, roadmap. is the roadmap, but we have as you know fifty four different programs that are that are part of Thrive. So. Um, and then you also referenced the, the Mayor's Fund for New York yes. City, and you're the, the chairperson yes. of that. So those are the yes. two big hats, but they, they um, overlap quite a bit. Yeah, they, they definitely overlap. Mm -hmm. I mean, Connections to Care is our, one of our main uh, Mayor's Fund uh, projects. It is uh, um, like 15 different organizations with, where we're actually changing the way mental health is delivered by by helping people get mental health services in the neighborhoods where they live or in the neighborhoods where they get services, other kinds of services, you know, uh, employment skills or parenting skills. They, they go in for one thing, but they're also screened um, or uh, can be identified by staff members if they have some type of uh, challenge that, that can be addressed, and they get services where they are. That's, that is, I think, an amazing Program, yeah, no, no. I think this is, you know, I think this is a uh, innovative way to make sure people are getting healthcare services where they live or where they work or where they go to school, and and I think it's going to change the way we 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 do healthcare. The critique of Thrive that that exists out there is mm -hmm. that um, while it can be credited for discussing quite candidly the commonness of mental illness mm -hmm. in the population, the fact that so many people struggle with different types of it, that it focuses on that broad picture at the expense of focusing on people who have very severe illness, mm -hmm. who might be considered dangerous to themselves or others, that there's a trade-off there and it's chosen one side and that, that, mm -hmm. that might be the wrong side. What's your response to that critique? Well, it's simply not true. I mean, Thrive addresses the full span. You know, it's, it's prevention through treatment for those with serious mental illnesses. But we've never really had, what we've never really had before is treatment programs for those on the other end. Uh, and so that's why it's new, and I think people are paying attention to it because it's never, we just never had it before. We have to do both. We, we really have to do both because... First of all, mental illness, substance misuse, addiction are all treatable. Uh, we know that, that the average time uh, that people wait when symptoms emerge or present is 10 years before they get treatment. Now, if that happened with diabetes or asthma or heart disease or anything, I mean, we would be all alarmed, right, that we got to get people services earlier, right, because we don't want people to get severely sick. We don't want them to die. But that happens with, with mental illness. People wait and wait 
and wait 10 years. A lot of damage is done, not just damage in terms of the mental health, uh, the mental illness, but physical damage and damage to relationships. They may lose their job. They may, you know, this is why we see so many people on the street. That is the result of untreated mental illness and not just you know, a year or two. This is like years and years and years in the making. If we act early, we can actually prevent or certainly intervene and, and so much more um, than what is happening right now. We need to prevent this from happening. We need to prevent um, people from being in the street. We need to prevent the um, people who are, have serious mental illness in our shelters, in our jails, all the places where we find them. That's a result of untreated mental illness, and that should not happen. On, on Thrive Energy, will you describe a little bit more um, your day-to-day approach to it or maybe week-to-week in terms of, um, you know, you're obviously the face of it and the mm-hmm. voice of it and you're at the press conferences and maybe some ribbon cuttings, I don't know, using that, using that term mm-hmm. um, euphemistically, but, you know, you're, you're clearly the spokesperson for it. How involved are you in the management of it, in the budget allocations? You know, what, what's your, um, you know, you sort of help craft it, right, and, mm-hmm. and launch it right. in late 2015, early 2016? November 2015, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, when we launched. So we're, we're a little more than two years uh, in the making, and it's, I'd say we're still in our infancy, but we've managed to get quite a bit done, and I'm very, very proud of, of how far we've come. I'm very involved. Um, I every week, uh, or every other week, we have a like a roster or implementation chart to show how far we've, you know, we have how how we're making our bench lines, how we're our timeline is moving, whether we're on target, off target. Um, it's very thorough. And we've got 400 metrics to measure our programs, and we are very much focused on making sure that we are doing a thorough evaluation and assessment of, of, of how we're doing. And I think that uh, NYC Well is probably a, a good example where I receive a, a weekly graph of how many calls have come in, um, what the calls, you know, what, what, at what time the calls were highest or lowest, uh, and, and um, you know, we're, we're, we're we're watching. We're and, watching and, very carefully. And that's the type of thing that you yourself will sort of sort through and, and think about. I mean, you're that, that into oh, the yes. details. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reading this, you know, looking at it every week. Um, and then, of course, there are like quarterly reports. It, it depends on the program, like what the measures are, but I'm, I'm, I'm very much focused on reading everything and talking with the team members and asking them what the challenges are, how we can do better, um, how are we communicating our successes to the public. I mean, this is like a, a routine part of my work. A little bit like the, the CompStat system, right? Yes, exactly. And, exactly. and just lastly on that, um, mm-hmm. who, who else is sort of leading that bi-weekly meeting? You know, who are the top people in mm-hmm. Thrive? Because I think sometimes because yes. it is multi-agency. Absolutely. How, how does that it, it depends on the, the program, but of course. But the, the core group is Alana Levitin, who's my senior policy advisor, uh, Gary Belkin, who's, of course, our city psychiatrist um, and executive deputy commissioner of uh, DOHMH. Uh, Alexis, now Alexis Comfer is now ED, so she will be 
managing uh, Thrive. We are in formation, we're resetting, so there will be other folks who will be part of that, that core. Uh, Deputy Mayor Phil Thompson will be part of that. Uh, and there are others, I, I wish I could give you more names right this minute, but no, because we're resetting, mm -hmm. I don't want to... Yeah, there, we, we usually, is there a reason for the resetting? Is there? Yeah, the resetting is, is necessary because the first two years were really focused on getting everything off the ground. Every program didn't launch at the same time. We, you know, first, you know, it took, let's see, NYC Well launched in 2016 um, because of October 2016 uh, and Connections to Care launched it. A different time, you know. They, 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 you know, they're not all. Uh, some programs require a lot more uh, foundational building, foundation building than than others. Some required fundraising, connection to care. We had to do a lot of fundraising for that, even though we had the White House support through the SIF grant. It's so it's. It varies. Mm -hmm. it totally and now, varies. now mm -hmm. you have to sort of shift into a different And now we have phase. to shift into another phase. We know we've got three years and nine months. I want to make sure that all of these programs last beyond this administration, which means that we have to do careful analysis of how well they're doing, and we have to actually embed them in the agencies. If, if we're doing, if these programs are doing well and if they're doing the right thing, then Every agency, because all the agencies um, that are involved have you know, some program or another or some have more than one, that, that means that it's, their outcomes should be better because of Thrive. For example, I, I like to use the DOE example, which we are you know, we're just getting started. All of our schools now have some kind of mental health support. Not, a, not necessarily enough or, or um, the right kind that they need, but all of our schools are very different. So it's going to take another year or so for us to get where we want. But theoretically, if we're doing our job right, Thrive will help graduation rates go up. It will help lower uh, absenteeism. Will help. Uh, there should be less violence in the school. It should help in all sorts of ways. And this is what we'll be looking at uh, as we embed these programs into the agencies. Uh, that's why we have, you know, we're training our teachers in social-emotional learning so that they can be, um, first of all, once they have the training, they can't take it away, right? They've got it, and they can, so they can work with students, help students build resilience, and help them make good choices, know how to identify their emotions. That goes a long way to, to helping our young people be able to learn, uh, to be able to express themselves and to, to not be agitated as they're in the classroom because they're thinking about, you know, whatever it is that they walk through the classroom with. And our kids walk through the classroom with a lot of different challenges, whether it's trauma or domestic abuse or addiction in the home, whatever it is. And we want our young people to know how to deal with it. You obviously feel pressure to get that right, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if you also feel some pressure to get it right pretty quickly, some sense of urgency, because obviously as long as it takes to embed this stuff, That's right. students are going through schools not being That's served, right. homeless people are That's being, right. and, and one agency I think about is the NYPD, which deals daily. Mm -hmm. In terms of the ideas behind Thrive NYC being kind of taken up by agencies and filtering down mm -hmm. to the rank and file, people who deal with the public, 
Do you get a sense with the police department that that is occurring? How, how satisfied are you with the extent to which it has been adopted on an operational level? Oh, I'm never satisfied. <laughs> I want everyone to go faster, harder. <laughs> it's, uh, but it is, it's happening. And I, I feel as though, what I want you to understand is that there's not just like one way that we are addressing all of this. For example, we are, yes, we are training our police officers in crisis intervention training and, and many of them are getting uh, mental health first aid and other tools uh, that they can use uh, in, in their work. But it's, it's, we're really trying to make sure that, that people are, are um, that, that everyone is in this, that we're all part of the solution in some way. That's why we have this goal of training a quarter of a million New Yorkers in mental health first aid because you know, I, I say often that we all grow up knowing what to do if someone is bleeding. Many of us know what to do if someone's choking, but not, very few of us know what to do if someone has a, a panic attack or if someone's suffering from depression. We don't know the right thing to say. We don't know what the right thing to do. And, and we all have to be part of this. It's not just up to our police officers to do this work. They, it really should not be on them. Um, that's why we have to start early, act early, have our teachers, our students understand um, more about mental health and what it means to be mentally healthy. Uh, and and uh, our family members, they have to understand. So people get to treatment earlier so that it doesn't become um, something that is so much harder to deal with. I'm curious, you know, the Mayor's Fund itself is interesting to me. It's one of mm -hmm. these um, entities that was kind of built up in the city during a time when there was a lot of crisis, a sense of people really needed to be creative and imaginative about how they met the city's needs. Mm -hmm. um, that period is largely past. The city's budget is, is rather large. Mm -hmm. um, and one might say, like, maybe you know, the functions of the mayor's fund should be taken in part of city government, so that it's, it's part of the, the general way we approach things. It's not a separate thing, and it's not funded by outside donations, because there are some potential, there are some potential problems with that, right? Mm -hmm. what, what do you think kind of recommends the approach of the mayor's fund? What does that allow you to do that we couldn't do just sort of having these great initiatives be part of the normal budgeting and the city, city processes? Well, the Mayor's Fund is a public-private partnership, which means that we're allowed, we're able to be more nimble than city government in many ways. Um, for example, well, we can respond to uh, an emergency or disaster uh, more quickly in some ways than city government can. Uh, for ex and I think that the um, East Harlem explosion is an example. The uh, uh, Disaster in Puerto Rico is another example. New Yorkers always, New Yorkers are generous, they're, they're compassionate, they want to help, and the Mayor's Fund is, acts as a vehicle of where people can channel, they can give money, and we can set up a, like, if you want to help uh, Puerto Ricans, uh, you can donate here, and we can be that, you know, which is not really government's role to do that. Uh, the Mayor's Fund can also and you know there's more than 70 programs in the Mayor's Fund. So um, New Yorkers who want to be active, who want to donate um, their, their expertise or their dollars to uh, something, to the arts, for example. Material for the arts is a great example. 
um, they can they can donate money. They can also if they're in in theater or in a, some field where they they have lots of stuff that can be reused and recycled in a way that that um, kids in public schools can use. Then they can send it all to the mayor's fund, and it all gets uh, reused in the classrooms. And it's like an amazing resource. Um, have you ever been to where the materials for the art? Have you been there? I have not. Yeah. 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 yeah oh, it's amazing. It's like a, a warehouse full mm-hmm. of, you know, yarn and glitter and pipe cleaners and paper and all sorts of things that can be used in the classrooms, and it's free. Teachers can go in there with a shopping cart and just like pull anything that they need. Uh, for their classrooms, which is which is great, you know, and that's because the mayor's fund is there. Um, the other thing is that programs like Connections to Care, wonderful program. Fifteen not-for-profits are are part of it, but we're actually it's a pilot though. It's a large pilot, but it's a pilot. Um, but if it's successful, and, and we you know we have a lot of eyes on it, including the Rand Corporation, which is doing part of the the uh, evaluation, then we can go. We can go to scale with it in government. Um, that would have been a harder program to do within government. The Mayor's Fund gives us that that nimbleness and uh, ability to pull in different people, and you know we can launch it, get it up and running. And now we, and if it's successful, then it, perhaps that is you know, something that we can incorporate in government going forward at scale. So that that's that's an interesting one, I, I guess that. Um provokes a, a question for me um, that I hadn't necessarily thought about so much before, but is there any concern in a situation like that that the organizations that you're trying to convince to either give to the mayor's fund or mm-hmm. participate in these programs, you, know, you have to worry about um, you know them uh, doing these types of things because they're also interested in city contracts down the line? You have to be concerned, you know, and then there's also obviously political campaigns and, you know, you're not, um, you know, you're obviously very closely connected to someone who's been a candidate. Do you have to set up any processes for worrying about conflicts of interest or um, limits on on Mm -hmm. fundraising in any way? Well, two things. One, you'd be amazed at the number of people who just want to give, I mean, from like regular people who just want to give five, ten dollars or whatever to people who just, like, this is what they do. This is their life. They, you know, they, they want to be uh, a citizen and are civically minded and have, like, a tradition of giving. Some have very specific areas where they want to give. Like, they want to do arts. Everything they do is arts. And some people, you know, want to do health care. Some people want to do the environment or immigration. I mean, they, and they have, you know, this is what they do. Right, um, we have a lot of wealthy people in New York not City. A, a lot of right, philanthropically minded people in, in the city. There are, mm-hmm. there really are, and uh, I don't worry about. First of all, I think that you know, as chair, and, and because we are separate from government, we don't, you know, we always have to be aware. But that's why we have lawyers. Lawyers figure out all that stuff. But, but it, it's not, um, um. It's not an overriding concern because there is that separation. And again, the people who usually want to donate to the mayor's fund are that this is like this is part of what they do as traditionally and, and um, it's not something I give a lot of thought to. Mm-hmm. I really don't. But we do have lawyers and mm-hmm. lawyers are important to like sift out the, you know, 
who's doing what and when, and that, I think that's important. Um, as you mentioned, we are lots of hats. One we want to talk about is your role in the city's domestic violence uh, mm -hmm. policy. Yes. Um, such an important problem drives homelessness, drives mm -hmm. obviously some of the remaining yeah. violence we have. What is your sense of what drives it? I mean, part of this is diagnosing why it happens. Is this, is this a mental illness issue? Is this about traditional ideas about gender? Like, why does domestic violence happen before we talk about how we're going to solve it? Mm -hmm. Do you think you feel like you have a diagnosis you can work with? Um, no, I don't have a diagnosis. I think that we can safely say that there is no one answer to that question. Um, certainly is partly um, there, there, there is an acceptance in many cultures of that, it, that it's fine to hit women, that women are, should be subservient to men, and that um, it's, it's accepted. Um, that's one part. Uh, alcohol and drugs absolutely plays a, a role in it. Um, we know that, that, um, that people, when they're drinking, can, you know, their behavior changes, and often, and sometimes it's violent behavior. Um, not always, but that's, you know, you, the alcohol and violence go together like, like this. Um, and, and then, of course, there are those who have a history of abuse in their own lives. They grew up with domestic violence in the home. I mean, we know that children who are abusers, I mean, young people, men who are abusers very likely uh, saw abuse in their own homes or they were abused themselves. Um, and, and women too, is that there's a very strong connection there. So there's no one, I mean, there, there may be other reasons too, but those three things are very strong predictors of, 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 of abuse. So uh, as we start to come toward the end of our time, unfortunately, I want to talk a little bigger mm -hmm. picture. Mm -hmm. uh, you have your hand in a lot of these specific policy parts, but you're obviously you're part of the larger team that mm -hmm. looks at the, this mayoralty as a whole. And I'm curious, you're, you're about two months past the second inauguration. As a writer, if you were writing the history <laughs> of the de Blasio administration, um, how would you characterize where, where you are? Are you consolidating games from the first term? Are you looking for a new fight, you meaning you, the whole, the whole team of which you are part. Are you, I'm assuming you're not regretting that the mayor ran for re-election. How would you characterize this particular moment in the story so far? Well, this is, it's, it's a big moment. This is, um, you know, the beginning of the second term is, is a huge opportunity to, yes, consolidate achievements and make sure that everything is working as well as it should, but also to communicate outwards. Know, to the public, like what has been done. I think that uh, we focused so much on getting things done that that we haven't had the opportunity to really um, let everyone know, like everything that we're doing. And certainly, that hasn't come out um, as I have seen it in in the press or in other places. So, I think that going forward, we, we want people to know that well, we're not finished. You know, there will be uh, other other um, new programs, et cetera, but, and certainly want to finish off those things that we started in the first term, but uh, I think it's important that we help people understand how much we got done in those first four years and, and going forward. So you sort of just hit on something I've, I think, I'm sure I've heard you reference before, but certainly your husband a lot more often, which mm -hmm. is um, how the press sort of captures this administration. Mm -hmm. um, 
we speak a little bit more to that? I mean, I know I, I, one thing that jumped into mind, I think, was at, um, you know, a fundraiser, um, actually, that, that um, w- was more, you know, for, for re-election early on, I think. But, um, you know, of course, there's been a lot of talk about the post. But beyond the post, you know, sort of more generally, do you think the administration has gotten a really unfair um, approach from, from the press? How do, you, how do you capture it? And why do you mm-hmm. think... Um, you know, you're at a place now where you're saying, I don't think I've seen in the press mm-hmm. enough attention on accomplishments. Right. I think, you know, we were in City Hall, you know, 20 plus years ago, and it was such a different world. It really was. Um, we didn't have this 24-7 media cycle, and we didn't have all of these different vehicles for getting information out. Uh, the day started the next day, <laughs> as opposed to that 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock the night before. And, and so, and the New York Times had a real metropolitan section <laughs> where they actually covered New York City. And I think part of what we're seeing is like it's not anybody's fault, is that the nature of media has changed so much um, in a way that I don't think anyone could have conceived. So, we are adjusting to that fact, that reality, that no, we're not, you know, no, we don't see what we've done reflected in the, in the press, and we're not going to because the Metropolitan section of the Times is like, you know, what, two pages now, and we now have, uh, we now have uh, podcasts, and, right? and, we, and we have Twitter, and Instagram and Facebook and, you, I mean, right? We have Politico and all these other places where people get their information. Sure. And, of course, cable news. I mean, before it was, New York once started the same year, I think, that the uh, same year Kiara was born, 1994. <laughs> so we're adjusting to, I think a lot, many electeds are, all of us adjusting to the fact that that news is consumed in a different way, people are writing in a different way, talking in a different way, and and it's hard. It's really hard because people's uh, attentions are drawn in so many different ways. How do you communicate what we've done? How do we communicate what we've done? Uh, I think that, like so many other elected officials, we're, we're trying to figure it out. You said that, that you know, very early in this conversation, you sort of said that that's a big focus for you is, is yeah. how are we communicating? Yes. And so... Um, now in year five, do you feel like that's been? Um, I know the mayor himself, in his first couple of years at least, said we haven't done. We said something very similar to this. So now mm-hmm. we're a couple of years later. Do you right. do you feel like the administration that's been a major um, failure? I mean, for lack of uh, a different word, is that something you point to and say, you know, this has been a real weak spot? I I wouldn't say. I definitely would say that. We have not conquered the method, from my point of view. We have not conquered how to do that um, as as best as we can. But I do think we're 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 getting closer. <laughs> I think it's it's a challenge, uh, as you all know. Even thinking when I think about like, well, what am I going to read today? It's like <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's a challenge, and and uh, given that the first part of the administration was spent building programs, getting things off the ground. You know, pre-K took an enormous amount of effort. Launching Thrive, an enormous amount. We weren't focused outward. I think 
as we move forward, it will be a bigger part of, of what we do, and we do have some better ideas about how to do it. But I don't think we've mastered that at all yet. I think that we are moving closer. The stories like the one that seems to keep coming back about mm -hmm. pay to play and Mr. Singh, mm -hmm. do you think that they harm the reputation of this administration? And why do you think we're still talking about that story? I think that's tabloid news. I think that, that it comes and it goes and that there's always something. Um, if it's not pay to play, there'll be something else, you know, but that's just the way the, the tabloids, uh, specifically how they, they operate. Um, it's always about taking something and how you pull somebody down. I mean, if it had any, if there was anything to it, I mean, obviously you all know by now. <laughs> Do you, has, um, has that sort of general theme and the investigations that occurred, I mean, I think maybe that's what you're sort of alluding to, you know, mm -hmm. if there was something really there, there would have been some sort of um, different outcome to, to the investigations, mm -hmm. um, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but um, how did you handle that? I mean, how did you, how have you handled that, that whole theme? I mean, is that something that um, as the, you know, mayor's top advisor, as you both indicated, mm -hmm. is that something where you've said to him, you know, we really got to do some things differently or, um, boy, you know, there were some mistakes made or is that more what you just seem to indicate is more of it's a press narrative? Well, it's definitely a press narrative. I am fortunate in that I married a Boy Scout. <laughs> he is it's such a Boy Scout. I had... You know, he didn't do anything wrong. I know he didn't do anything wrong. He knows he didn't do anything wrong. It's just, but you have to you have to deal with that that narrative that that's out there. Figure out how to you know talk about it or not talk about it. That's just part of the work, really. Mm -hmm. But it's not unsettling because I know it's not true. So there, just to uh, think. Yeah, last couple of questions. Yeah. Uh -huh. There have been stories in the past few weeks about you potentially mm -hmm. uh, considering a political future mm -hmm. uh, of your own, that is to say, as a, as a, a candidate. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about your thinking? Um, and, and sort of, when people talk about running for office, the question I always ask them is, well, why? Mm -hmm. um, what for you is the, is the why that's going to drive whatever you decide to do or, or not do? And kind of, where are you on this? Well, I know what it's like to be an advocate, to be on the outside of government, you know, trying to get something done. And, uh, you know, since I've been in government, I, I recognize the huge power, um, the ability to actually make the changes that the advocates are outside clamoring to get done. Uh, I, I want to continue the work of, of Thrive. I want to make sure it's a success and perhaps... Perhaps one of the ways to do that is to actually run for office and be someone who can be a part of continuing the implementation. I don't know. I'm not there yet. I mean, I'm really not there yet. It's, I said that I would put running for office on my list of possibilities for after this, and, and that is, that's, that's, that's all um, there is to it at this point. I'm not actively planning anything. Um, but it is, it's on the list as, as something to consider. And, and I think all women should consider 
all progressive women should consider running for office. <laughs> conservative women. Uh, no, need not stay apply. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, just on that front, it sounds like I mean, just to me sitting here, the notion of trying to continue the work of Thrive, maybe something like public advocate. I think you've said you wouldn't be running for mayor, so if we're taking that off the table, um, but put it back on if you want. Um, uh, something like public advocate might lend itself to that. I mean, is that the, uh, are there Perhaps. certain offices that are on your initial menu, Perhaps. or you're not even there? I'm not there yet. Okay. Yeah, I'm not yeah. there yet. And do you know from now till decision time, let's say it's another year and a half, two years before you have to really decide, do you know what the benchmarks will be? Have you thought about, you know, is it sort of go around the city meeting with people can I really do this should I really do this would you support me is it that type of thing or have you even thought about what the steps would be to get there you know I've I have not really thought about the steps of certainly that would be one of the steps but I have not you know given it serious thought it's too early yeah I'm very focused on doing a really good job at what I'm doing right now because my future depends on it it does <laughs> and last Speaking of the future, um, you and your husband both will have to sort of make that that those next decisions. What do you want to see him do? Um, are there are there certain things even on the menu that you want to say to him, um, or that you have said to him? You know that you want to see him look at. Yes, I've told him I really want a better work life balance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's it. Okay. All right. Well, sounds like uh, maybe a run for president then uh, <laughs> might not be the right, the right path. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. <laughs>